if you have studied the Bible to any degree, or really if you even just casually are a student of the Bible, you've probably come to realize that there are certain verses that speak to your heart more than other verses. There are verses that speak to you, that challenge you, that direct you, that guide you. Uh, really, for lack of better terms, that haunt you. Verses that get into your spirit and challenge you through different seasons of your life. Now, I told, told you last week, I shared with you that uh, Luke twelve forty eight, the verse that Rachel quoted in her prayer, has been one of those verses for me. To whom much is given, much shall be required. To those who have been given much, God expects more of you. I gave the redefinition last week when we took communion. I told you to those who get to sit at the Lord's table, to those who have a place at the Lord's table, much more is to be expected. See, that verse has been with me since uh, I was a teenager. When uh, I was growing up in, in my high school years, had a Sunday school teacher, a lady uh, that would teach our Sunday school, and she taught me from 10th grade to senior year in high school. So she kind of stayed with my group as we went up. And uh, each week, it seemed like, when we would read a scripture, when we would read a passage, she would always look to me to, to give an idea what the passage meant. Now, you have to understand, many of those times, 10th grade to 12th grade, I was running from God. There were a lot of things going on in my life. My parents were separated and then getting divorced. My mother was sick. She was dying uh, from diabetes early on. And there were a lot of things. I was just angry at God. I was running from God. I was, I, I was mad, literally, as a teenager. And she would ask me to interpret these passages. And, and I would just tell her what I thought it said. And it seemed so easy to me. And every time I did that... She would seem shocked, and she would look at me, and she would say, that, you have a gift. You don't understand it now, but you have a gift to make the complex simple. And one day, God is going to use that gift for his kingdom. Well, I, I would laugh. Every week, it got to be a big deal. I would just kind of laugh, and I would say, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but then as we got ready to leave class, every Sunday, she would look at me, and she would say, thank you for sharing, and never forget, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Well, I can't tell you how many times when she would say that, it would get under my spirit. It would make me angry. When you're running from God, the last thing you want to hear is that God expects something from you. And it, it would, it, I would walk out of there just angry. I would walk out of there just uh, mad. How dare she insinuate that somehow God had given me anything, that somehow he expected something from me. Well, as my mom got sicker, that Sunday school teacher was one of the ladies who would come to my house. And she would come and bring a meal. She would come and pray for my mother. And, and I would be angry. I was angry during that whole time. So I, when those ladies would come over, I would go and close my door and stay away from them. Really just kind of pout and be mad at God for all that we were going through. And every time she came to my house, before she would leave, she would come and knock on the door. And I would open it angrily. You can imagine. You've had teenagers. You know what I'm talking about. I would open it and kind of give her a mad look. And she would lean in and she would say, I love you. And she would give me a hug. And she said, I just wanted to, to say I love you and remind you again to whom much is given, much should be required. Well, you want to talk about making you even more angry. It would just get under me. But that verse stuck in my heart. And all throughout the various seasons of my life, when I questioned God, when I, when I wondered what God wanted for my life, when I doubted God, those words would penetrate into my heart. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And it's a verse that even to this day motivates me for everything that I do to understand that all I've been given, that I, I need to learn to be appreciative of, but also because of what I've been given, God expects more of me, the same he expects of you. 
I'm assuming there's verses like that in your life, what you might call a life verse, a verse that spoke to your heart, a verse that challenged you. You know, later on when I got into ministry and began to serve, another verse jumped out that really began to challenge me and speak to me. And it was from later on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of Matthew 7, verse 21, 23, he says something that, that not only haunted me, but, but really hit me in, in the spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of the Father. And he goes on and says that many will come and say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we pray in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And I will look at them and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That verse, that verse broke my heart. To think as a minister that there were people in church, good Christian people, good, good religious people, good people that were there every week that, that had grown up in the church but yet somehow missed the idea that Christianity was about a relationship and not religion and that although they knew everything there might have been to know about Jesus, Jesus didn't know them because they never started a relationship and that somehow those people were going to miss out on God's glory. It motivates me to this day. It challenges me every time I get up to preach that I'm motivated and encouraged that I'm going to preach the truth no matter what people want to hear, no matter what people like, because there are people sitting in the pews every Sunday that may stand before God one day and He look at them and say, I never knew you. That question of not do you know Jesus, but does He know you, it still haunts me. And even more recently, a verse that's really spoken to me in the last couple of years that I preached on a couple of times here, uh, it, it comes from the end of Matthew when Jesus is last week of his life and, and Jesus is going into the temple on the last week of his life and he goes into the money changers are in the temple. And you know the story. He goes in and he overturns the tables. But the part about that in Matthew 21 that, that just haunts me. It's this idea that as he's overturning these tables in the temple, the Pharisees are standing right there. Now the Pharisees, who we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, the religious people, that you have to understand, they have spent their entire lives studying, researching, looking for the Messiah that was to come. You see, everything that they did was geared towards the anticipation that one day a Messiah is going to come and He is going to redeem God's people. And they're standing there, and Jesus is in their midst, and they don't even know it. And it says, after he overturned the table, some little boys came and began to sing a quote from Psalms 18. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. And that got the Pharisees so angry, they looked at Jesus and said, Don't you hear what, what they're saying about you? You see, what gets me is that they were so caught up in this idea that, that God had to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way that when God, the one who they'd been looking for, the one who they'd been praying for, the one who they built their whole life around showed up, they didn't even see Him. You see, it haunts me to think that there are believers, even today, that God is moving in our midst, that God is at work, that God is doing things. And we might miss it. I wonder in my own life how many times I missed God's hand. 
How many times I miss God's power? How many times I've missed God's presence in my midst because I was so focused on something else or I was so caught up in something else that I thought was important, the seen, the temporary, that I missed the eternal. See, I wonder about your life. I wonder how many times in your life you've missed God who was working in your presence. You've missed opportunities to, to invest in other people's lives. You missed the things of God because you couldn't see it. Because for some reason or another, we were either blinded to it or we weren't aware it was happening. You see, it challenges me to ask the question, could that be possible? Could it be possible for Christians, for, for those who are filled with the Spirit, for followers of Jesus Christ, could it be possible that God could be moving in your midst? That God could be at work in your family. God could be at work in your home. God could be at work in your community. And you not see it. Could God be providing opportunities all around you? People that you can invest in. Ministries that you can invest in. And you don't sense it. You know, Mark records Jesus' warning several times to his followers when he says, let those who have ears to hear, hear. Let those who have eyes to see, see. Paul even tells the church at Ephesus when he's praying for them in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened. That's where we get that song. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be opened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches and glorious inheritance of the saints, and the incomparably great power he has for those who believe. You see, what he's saying is he's speaking to believers. He's saying, listen, my prayer is that somehow God will open your eyes to realize who you are in Christ and the power that you have and see his hand all around you. Because you see, I'm afraid so many of us in the church miss God's movement. We miss God's opportunities. We miss God's power, not because he's not moving, but simply because we're not looking for it. Can you be a follower of Jesus Christ and still not see Christ? Can you be a, a committed believer, someone who is trusting in the Holy Spirit and yet still not sense God's work in your presence? You know, in our study, as I said in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been encouraging us to invest our time and our talent and our treasure in those things that count for eternity. You see, everything that we have in our life, all the time that we have, all the talent that we've been given, our spiritual gifts and our natural gifts, and all the treasure we have, the stuff we have, the monetary gain, everything that we have, we are called to invest it. And we invest it either in two ways. We invest it in those things that are temporary, those things that will pass away, those things we leave behind, or we invest it in things that count for eternity, ministries that are changing eternity, lives that are changing for eternity, people. You know, the Bible says there's only two things that are going to last for eternity. The Word of God, the Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever, and the souls of men. If there's only two things that are, that are going to last for eternity, then we need to ask ourselves, am I investing in things that will praise and glorify God, or do they extend His kingdom? Do they further His work? So we asked last week to look at your investments, to look at all the things that you've been investing in. You know, and he, he ends it in verse 21 with a, a warning that most of us have heard before. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
You see what Jesus was trying to tell us? No matter what you think about your heart, your investments, where you spend your time, talent, and treasure will always reveal the true nature of your heart. See, you could say you love something, but if your time, talent, and treasure is invested somewhere else, it speaks the truth. See, some of us say, well, this is the most important thing in my life. But yet, where you're investing those things does not prove that out. Your heart will always be revealed by where you're investing. You can always tell the condition of your heart. I reminded you last week that if, if we are to invest, then the Holy Spirit is our investment broker. See, Jesus doesn't just leave this verse there and say, listen, you need to invest in the eternal things. He gives you the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that every day reveals to you ways that you can invest. Every day the Holy Spirit shows you people that you can invest in and, and things that you can invest in and ministries that you can be a part of and God's hand all around us. He points those things out. But what happens? And here's the question for this morning. What happens if the Holy Spirit is doing his job. He is revealing, and yet we're still not seeing. What if he is trying to show you how God is working, where God is working, how you can be a part of it, but yet you still don't understand it? What if something else has clouded your vision? What if something else has blurred your ability to see God's hand? It's keeping you from focusing on what really is important. Well, this morning in our passage, Jesus is going to address that. Jesus is going to talk just for a moment about those of us that have allowed other things to get in the way of seeing God at work and have stopped us or caused us to not be involved in what God's doing. So let me start by asking you this this morning. How's your vision? How's your spiritual eyesight? How well do you see and sense God's hand around you? You know, people ask me as a pastor, I say, Rusty, why... Why didn't God still do the things that he did in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Why don't we see miracles happening? Why don't we see things happening all around us? What, why has God changed? Well, God hasn't changed. We've changed. See, it's not that the God of Elijah is gone. It's the Elijahs don't show up anymore. It's not that the God of Peter and Paul doesn't show up to perform miracles and, and cause incredible things to happen. It's, there's no more Peter and Pauls to trust him and to see where he's moving, to begin to move into it. And most of the time, the reason we're not doing those things is because we're not seeing them. We're not aware of them happening. So Jesus speaks to that and gives us a little hint about how we can change. So let's look at our verse, verse 22. Now, this sounds like a little riddle, so you're going to have to stay with me to understand it. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, remember the context. He has just told us about investing, and now he's going into the idea of how do we know where to invest our heart? You know because of your eyesight. And he says, you understand the eyes are the gateway, the window to your soul. Your eyes allow those things to come into your heart to show you how you can invest. But he says, if your eyesight is bad, he said, if the vision is bad, then it corrupts the heart. If you are not focusing on those things that are eternal, if you're not seeing those things that are eternal, you're not letting the light in, and because of that, the light's not coming out of you. And you see, what happens in our lives is we so focus on those things that are temporary that somehow we convince ourselves that those things that are temporary aren't real bad. 
And so we continue to focus on them and we continue to invest in them and we continue to spend our time, treasure, and talent doing those things. And before we know it, what he says there is the darkness is really bad. We no longer have the ability to see anything that God is doing around us or that God is doing in our midst. Listen to how the Message Bible translates this. For your eyes are the window into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, which means faith, your body will be filled up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body becomes a dank, dark cellar. And if you were to pull up the blinds to that body and look in your windows, what a dark life you would have. Now you remember, Jesus is talking to followers here. He's not talking to people outside the body. He's talking to Christians. He says, listen, examine what you're looking at. More importantly than that, examine where you're focusing. What is the focus of your eyesight? What is the focus of your heart? Because you see, where you're looking will always reveal what is most important to you. Whatever catches your gaze, Jesus said, will be a revelation of what's inside of your heart. And you can never have a changed heart if you don't allow your focus to be changed. And many in church are not seeing what God is doing all around us simply because their focus is not on the things of God. That's what Jesus is teaching. Have you ever wondered why two people can go into a worship service, two believers go into the same service and they walk out and one person says, oh, that was unbelievable and the Holy Spirit was moving and God was moving and there was a spirit of unity or there was a spirit of power and I sense lives being changed and yet someone else that was at the very same service could walk out and say, I didn't get anything. I didn't see anything. I didn't sense anything. How is that possible? Because Jesus said it takes eyes to see to be able to understand where the Spirit is moving, how the Spirit is moving. Henry Blackaby, who wrote Experiencing God, said our greatest responsibility is to find where God is moving, where God is at work, and go there and get plugged in. But the problem for many believers is we make the excuse, well, I don't know where God's working. Well, if the Bible's true, He's working all around you. See, do you understand that miracles are happening even in our midst this morning? That lives are being changed. Those who were once lost are now being saved. Those who were once broken are now being healed in your midst. That the Word of God, the Bible says, will never return void. So every time we read the Bible, every time we open it up, down in the children's wing, whenever they begin to teach those kids, there are miracles happening. There are God's Word being invested in people's lives that will change them for eternity. But you see, we don't see it because we don't have spiritual eyes to see. Let me suggest to you a couple of reasons this morning why our vision gets blurred, a couple of reasons why we don't see God at work around us, a couple of reasons why our focus gets off what's eternal and gets on eternal. I'm going to give you three words, three things, and they're easy to remember. They're S words because that's the way preachers like to operate. So you'll have three words to remember. The first is self. One of the main reasons you and I don't see God at work is because we're too focused on ourselves. I've told you before, the, the, body, the battle that goes on in our spirit is between the flesh and the Holy Spirit. The flesh is your old nature. That's yourself. That's that old thing that by, the Bible says is dead, and you are now a new creation. But what happens is, as long as we live in this body, until we get eternal bodies, we will battle this flesh. 
We will battle this old nature. Paul said it was a war. It was a battle. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Because the flesh doesn't fight fair. And it's a battle for control because the old nature, that old flesh, says, I want to be in control. Rusty says, I want to be in control. And the Holy Spirit says, wait, you said I was in control. You said I was in control of what you watch. You said I was in control of what you read. You said I was in control of what you see. And the flesh says, no, let me be in control. You see, that battle for control goes on in our spirit. And the more the flesh controls you, the more he controls what you see, the more he controls your senses, the less you see of the things of God. Because, see, the flesh is never going to glorify God. It's never going to focus on God. It's never going to focus on the things of God. The flesh will always do just the opposite. You see, the flesh will always draw your vision to the things that feed the flesh. What are the things that feed the flesh? Well, the Bible says in Galatians, the sins of the flesh are obvious. Pride, lust, envy, greed. You see, those things are what you want to see if the flesh is in control. See, the flesh is all about self. It's all about me. What's important to the flesh? What I want, what I like, what I think. I, I, I. Me, me, me. And when those things guide your vision, you are only going to look for things that do what? That lift you up, that make you feel good, that put you first. And the more you feed that flesh, the hungrier it gets, and the more your vision stops being on what God is doing and starts being on what is important to me, myself, and I. And the flesh grows and it grows and it grows. And the more it grows, the more it takes control. And the more it takes control, the less we're able to see how God moves. You see what the flesh does. And listen, this is is dishonest. It's how he works in my life and it's how he works in your life. What the flesh does is the flesh, it understands that the Holy Spirit is trying to take control. And so what the flesh wants to do is the flesh wants to limit the control that the Holy Spirit has. The flesh is always into limiting, limiting and controlling. Because if it can limit the amount of control the Holy Spirit has in in your life, then that puts it in control. So by limiting the Holy Spirit, what it does is it limits God. And so the flesh begins to say, God, you can have this area in this part, in this little box. And what we do is we begin to put God in a box. And if God moves outside of that box, we don't see it. Why? Because the flesh doesn't let us. Because it's not what we want, what we like, and how we like it. And so we begin to limit God, and our vision is limited of God. And we start seeing God only in the ways that He's worked and moved before, and we don't see new works of God. That's just where, do you understand the flesh likes comfort? The flesh likes the status quo. The flesh likes things just the way they always are. The flesh hates change. And, 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 you know, change, I know people say, well, I just don't like change. Change is a part of the Christian walk. If you are not changing every day, you are not growing. If you are not changing every day, part of you are changing. If you are not different tomorrow than you were yesterday, then you are not growing. And in the Christian walk, if you're not growing, you're dying. Well, the flesh hates change. If you don't believe me, think of something you do fleshly every day and try to do it differently. If you brush your teeth with the right hand, try to do it with the left hand. See how much your body, it feels weird, doesn't like it. Brush your hair with a different hand. Hold your drink, do it differently, and see how much the flesh, the flesh hates change. 
But the Bible said God is ever-changing. While God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, He is always changing the way He moves and changing His methods. And what happens in the church is we get so settled on God moving one way that when God begins to move in these other ways, we close it off and we don't see it. And by closing it off and not seeing it, we are missing a move of God. Elijah, when he ran from God and was fighting depression, he went in a cave and he waited for God. What was he waiting for? Waiting for God's voice. Where was he looking for God? Well, maybe in a bush. Why? Because that's the way God moved before. Maybe he would be in the thunder because maybe that's the way God's moved before. But God came in a whisper and he almost missed it. Because it wasn't the way he's always moved. And so many people in the church, we miss God's hand because we're so closed off to anything new or anything different or anything that causes us to move outside of our comfort zone. When that's the place, when we move and begin to see God's hand, all of a sudden our eyes open to a new and fresh work. You see, stop limiting God. Stop allowing the flesh to control your mind and your eyesight. Because as long as the flesh is in control, your spirit will never be in control. Because, listen, why do you think Paul says that I battle my body? He says I beat my body to discipline my body. And he wasn't literally talking about beating his body. What he was talking about was trying to get the flesh under control. Because if the flesh is in control, then you can't give the Holy Spirit control. See, the flesh says, I want to look at things that feed the flesh. I want to do things that feel good, that look good, that appeal to lust and pride and envy. And the more you feed those things, the larger they'll grow and the less the Holy Spirit has a place in your life. It's a battle for control. Self is a huge battle that many people fight. It corrupts our focus. It blinds us to God's move. The second S word is sin. Self will always blind you. Yourself and, and flesh will always blind you to God's hand. But sin always corrupts our vision of God. Because you see, sin is rebellion. You cannot live in unrepented sin and expect to see God's hand move. You just can't. Some of you this morning, you're saying, well, I, I just haven't seen God move and, and I come to worship and it's not the same as it used to be because I'm not sensing God's presence and I, I'm not seeing Him move. Well, it's not that God is not moving. It's that you're not willing to be able to see Him why? Because most of the time it's sin in our life, unrepented sin, things that we haven't gotten rid of. Because you see, sin is rebellion, and you know what rebellion does? Rebellion always distorts the view of the Father. Think about when you were a teenager, and you were in rebellion towards your parents. Didn't it distort how you viewed what your parents said? Those of you that have teenagers... When your teenager is in rebellion, what it does is it distorts your love for them into something else. You see, God says He loves us and He disciplines us. If you're in rebellion, what do you see that discipline as? You see it as punishment. How many times have you heard people that are living in rebellion say, God just doesn't want me to have fun? Why didn't God, God's just trying to keep me from experiencing this. God just doesn't want me to do this. See, they, their view has been clouded. Instead of understanding that it's God's protection to keep them from hurting themselves, that what God is telling us in here is not to, to harm us. It's not to, to keep us from enjoying life. It's to enjoy life to the fullest without all the baggage. God's not doing it to punish you. He's doing it to protect you. His warnings are there to protect you. But when you're in rebellion, you can't see that. All you see is that God's trying to be mean or that God's not listening. or God, And it distorts our view of God. And the moment our view of God starts getting distorted, you can't see Him moving. And you can't hear His voice and you can't see 
the opportunities that He's providing for you. You see, sin will always distort what the Father's trying to, to do. Listen to how Jesus describes it in Matthew chapter 13. Listen, He's quoting from Isaiah. Matthew 13, verse 13, listen. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. For you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For people's hearts have been calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears, and they they have closed their eyes and can't see. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and God would change them. But blessed are you whose eyes are open because you see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but they cannot see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they cannot hear it. You see, sin will always shut your eyes to the things of God. This morning, if if you're struggling with seeing God, maybe you've seen Him in the past, maybe you've seen opportunities, and, and we all go through valleys and mountains. Maybe there were times in your life where everywhere you looked, you saw opportunities to invest. Every time you were in His presence, you felt God moving, and you sensed His presence, and it's just not there anymore. The first place to look is to look at the flesh. The second place is to look at sin. Because sin will always keep you from seeing God's hand. And the third place, the third S word is society. And that's just an easy S word to say our culture. Because you see, our culture is geared, the world systems are geared around stealing our vision. There is so much stuff today to look and to see and to smell and to taste. Things are coming at us all the time, engaging all of our senses. And so many believers are so engaged with all the things of the world that they never take the time to stop and see God's hand. We're always in such a rush that we miss God moving all around us and in our midst. We miss what God is trying to say to us, what God is trying to teach us. How many of you remember back in the 90s those computer-generated 3D prints? You know what I'm talking about? That they were just colors and, and uh, all these shades, and, and, but they would have a hidden 3D message in them. Some of you remember that? Universal sign? Yes? No? You remember what I'm saying? And you would look at them, but the only way you could see them is you would have to relax your eyes and kind of blur your vision. And it was always funny to watch people because there were some people that no matter what they did, they just couldn't see it. And they would get angry and they would walk away and they'd storm. And I love, what I like to do is I, I had a print that a guy made that didn't have a 3D print. And it looked like one of those things. And so I would tell them, it's a cross in there. You can't see it. You know, and they spend all, oh, I can't see it. Right? But you spend all your time trying to blur your eyes and cross your eyes and do all the things to see it. And you see, that's the way society works against us. We come and we look around and we see the, the temporary. We see the topical stuff. But we never take the time to slow down and see the real picture. We never take the time to focus our eyes on the things of God to be able to look deeper and see what God is doing and how God is doing it and the opportunities that God has for us. We just rush by. We're in such a hurry in our society that it's hard for God to allow us to see Him. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And a lot of times that verse gets misused to talk about vision, saying where there is no future vision, where there is no vision. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is where there is no spiritual eyes to see, the people perish. Listen to how the Message Bible puts it. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. 
See, this morning, God is asking you to open your eyes. Where's your focus? What catches your sight? How is your spiritual eyesight this morning? Have you allowed self and, and flesh and sin and society to rob you of seeing God's movement around you? To rob you of seeing ways that you can invest your time, talent, and treasure in the eternal things of God? Are you so focused on the temporary things that you're missing God's movement? Even in your midst. George Barna, the statistician, Christian statistician, defines spiritual eyesight as this way. It's the ability to see what God wants to accomplish through you to further His kingdom. You see, the spiritual vision that God is always going to reveal to you always involves extending His kingdom. And if He shows you, here's the key. If He shows you, it's because He wants you involved. You see, God's movement is never something to be watched as a bystander. We're always to be participants. If God is showing you an opportunity to serve, it's not so that you can put a sign up or go tell a friend. It's because He wants you to invest. If God is showing you His hand at work and and it moved, then like uh, Blackaby said, that is God telling you to go and get involved in that ministry so that you can be a part of the movement of God. It's not so that you can sit back and feel and say, oh, this is neat and it's so cool. No, what you're supposed to do is get involved to see how you can engage and how you can let other people see what God is doing in your midst. Charles Swindoll defines spiritual vision as this, the ability to see, the faith to believe, and the courage to do. You see, what God is wanting you to do is to have an awareness of His presence beyond what your natural eyes can see. It's the ability to see what no one else can see. And see, the thing about spiritual vision is the moment God begins to show you, you may be the only one that sees it. You may be the only one that sees the need. You may be the only one that senses what God's doing, but that will not keep you from following your vision if it's from God. See, Jesus is telling us, listen, you have a limited amount of time You have so much talent, so much treasure. Where are you investing it? Are you just settling for the temporary? Or are you seeing really the big picture? Are you sensing what God is doing and getting involved? Helen Keller said, The only thing worse than being born blind is having sight without having vision. And I'm afraid many people in the church, that describes us today. Most of us aren't even willing to look. Most of us aren't even willing to focus on beyond what is in front of us to see where God is calling us to. The question for you this morning is, are you willing to let God open your eyes? See, the cool thing about those 3D pictures, if you ever saw them, if you ever took the time to get to see them, once you saw them, you saw them every time. Once you saw them, you didn't have to go back and go, okay, I think there's something in here because you knew exactly what to look for. Your eyes were trained to see it. And that's the way God's vision is in our life. Once you begin to see God move, once you begin to see opportunities, you'll see opportunities everywhere. You'll see God's hand moving all around you. You can't help but see it. And the only thing that will keep you from seeing it is self, sin, and the busyness of our culture. This morning, God's telling you to open your eyes. Why is it so important that you see it? Why is it so important that you understand Because it builds your faith, 
and it allows you to invest. Invest in something that counts. Invest in something that matters. 